I'd like to introduce Denton. My name's Denton. I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. <laughs> we need to take that bar and put it right down there. Good to be with y'all. Thank you for asking me, Julie, and uh, thanks for that beautiful prayer earlier. Uh, a few housekeeping items. My sobriety date is January 18th, 2010. My home group is the Gratitude Study Group. We meet in Raleigh uh, Mondays and Thursdays at 7. We'd love to have you if you can join us. I have a sponsor. He is a sponsor and so forth, and I sponsor other men. It's been a big privilege. Um, I was told this was supposed to be sort of a workshop, so I thought tonight in preparing I'll spend some time in prayer, meditation, and thinking about that second step of came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And um, I thought it might be good to think about those words a little bit, and you know, what exactly does that mean? And um, and then what does our book have to say about that? And then I thought maybe I could share with you some of my experience. And I can say today that I have been restored to sanity, at least in terms of the context of uh, what's in our book. And um, I think it would be a disservice to say to have you know, our book promises that we can recover from this disease and that we can become different folks, that that, that problem can be removed, and I can say that today. Um, so a few things I looked up, you know, I thought it would be helpful to, uh, I'm a big word guy, hopefully, is this, can everybody hear me okay? Yeah, right. So I'm a big word guy. If you look up the word restored, you know, it uses the term brought back, retrieved, recovered, renewed. This is from Webster's 1828 Dictionary, but I do like looking at the old terms. Um, if you look at restore, you know, it says to bring back or to recover from lapse, degeneracy, declination, or ruin, to heal or to cure, to recover from disease, to revive, resuscitate, to bring back to life. I don't know about y'all, but I felt like my life was uh, in a hole when I came in here. Insanity, we get a few. It says, you know, the common one, um, uh, it says a sound state of mind, healthy. The word sound means unbroken, not bruised or defective, healthy, not diseased, founded in truth, founded in right and law. You know, our book goes on to kind of talk about the alcoholic insanity, the insanity around that first drink. And for me, um, over time, you know, I got sicker and sicker the longer that my drinking went on. And I would tell myself that it would be different each time. You know, when I was younger, I felt different and out of place. I don't know why that was. I came from a very loving family. Um, Bill Wilson described it as anxious apartness. I really like that phrase. That's the way I felt. I don't know how much of that is just being an adolescent, but I do know when I found alcohol that it made me feel pretty damn good. Yeah. I've been recently, uh, you know, it's a term, it's called spirits for a reason, right? And I was seeking a false spirit. I didn't have much of a, of a I didn't have any God in my life, really. Although, my mother's pretty atheistic. She loved to poke fun at religion. My dad, I remember when I was getting sober, I talked to him about some spiritual things, and he asked me about the weather. <laughs> and, uh, and then they sent me to Sunday school. You know? So, you know, kind of confusing. Um, I went off to a boarding school at 13, and um, I'm trying to make sure I stay on track. You know, I discovered alcohol. I managed to hold off until I was 12 to take my first drink. And, and you know, what I can say about it is it was fun. It's something I wanted to do. You know, I experienced that ease and comfort we talk about. You know, that spirit, that false spirit, you know, I was seeking. Um, I went off to that boarding school, and 
within a couple of weeks, you know, um, I had already found the seniors that would buy me beer, where to hide the rub, you know, the rubbing alcohol became vodka, the apple juice bottles became scotch. I mean, at that young age, I'd already kind of managed my drinking. Um, but you know, it wasn't a problem at that time. I still had that anxious apart feeling, feeling alone, out of place. I was exposed to, um, it was a Christian high school, I was exposed to chapel. I you know, had good examples of godly men in my life, but I just didn't, you know, for me, I had it all figured out. I knew better than you. You know, my way, my thinking was that I, I knew better and, and I was going to do it my way. And that only gets you so far. You know, our book goes on to talk about what that sanity really is and the insanity of that drink. You know, the cunning, baffling, powerful nature. And over time, I got sicker and sicker. I set my eyes on a good college. I got into it, decided I was going to be somebody else. And that meant that I showed up early, joined a fraternity. I was arrested within two days of class even starting. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and I became a daily drinker. You know, um, I joined that fraternity, and they showed me how to really drink. And that's when my drinking took off. You know, my friends were... You know, I had different friends each night, really. Some of the fraternity brothers would go out one night and then another night. And I found different groups every night. Pretty quickly, my grades went downhill. I uh, found myself on probation, being asked to leave. Um, but in my mind, I had it all figured out. You know, you needed to follow what I had to say. Now, I had no problem throwing up a prayer when I was in trouble. You know, if I got pulled over, I got, you know, uh, I was a blackout drinker, so I had a lot of situations. I'd wake up the next day, put the pieces together, and I would swear off alcohol. Right? I would just, you know, I would promise it would be different. But each time, I would rationalize my way back into it. Like, what are you going to quit forever? Like, that's, I mean, that's crazy. Or it wasn't that bad. You know, it really wasn't that big a deal. You know, our book goes on to say, I'll just read a little bit out of here. You know, at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it's suspected. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice to drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our own consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. You know, throughout my drinking career, I would black out and, you know, the things I was doing, the guilt, the shame, the remorse, I would stuff all of that but down inside. And I would lie to myself and act like it never happened. You know, over time, my, my parents instilled in me good morals, you know. Um, alcohol robbed that from me. Over time, I became a liar, a cheat, and a thief. You know, it was never my fault. I could never take responsibility for my actions. Um, you know, I got out of that, they let me back in that university. Um, and we'll see hopefully one time. They let me back in there after a couple of years. I had to take a, my own hiatus. I discovered some supplements to supplement my drinking. And, and um, I thought that was the problem. And I was able to get off of the supplements. Um, but the only way I did that was through some, you know, through willpower, through physical labor and still drinking a lot. And, um, you know, it, but it just wasn't enough pain. And so I got, a, I got out of that school and um, decided I was going to move to Charlotte. And, uh, lean on family again. I was real good at taking advantage of family. And I uh, said it was going to be different. You know, I set out with all the intent to be a different person. And, um, and I showed up. You know, it took me with me. I showed up. I got into the, doing insurance and investments. And I walked into this journal agency for the first day of training. And they wrote on the board, WIFM, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? 
and I thought I had arrived. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is it. And it was all about selling insurance, and everybody had a nice BMW, and it was just, you know, that's what I was going to purchase. I was always seeking something, and I was, you know, that's what I thought was going to make me okay. I never looked at, like, why am I, do I have this anxious apartness? You know, why, why do I feel alone in a room of people? Why do I feel different and out of place? What is it about alcohol that's answering that problem? I just thought it was fun. You know, I couldn't have said any of that if you'd asked me at that time. But over time, I got sicker and sicker. You know, the, I've heard it said the podium was fun, fun with problems, and then problems. You know, I started having more problems. Uh, the DUI, you know, DUI came in. Um, you know, I had the blow and go in my car. And this is my thinking to give you kind of the insanity. You know, I get this, you know, I get my first introduction to Alcox Anonymous, where I'm supposed to. You know, I, get, I go to the drive, I get the DUI, they put the blow and go in. You know, um, I do the alcohol counseling. And I know I have a problem at this point. It's not, you know, I know that I've got a problem. It just hasn't gotten bad enough, and I'm managing it better. And, um, you know, they show us the Father Martin tapes, you know, the, the chalk talks, you know, all the stuff. And I've got the chart about drinking and, like, you know, one or two drinks a week, and it kind of goes down. Like, way at the bottom is like, you know, if you blacked out, blacked out more. And I'm thinking, I blacked out last night. Like, you know, this is this not good. <laughs> and um, they put that thing in my car, and, you know, they're supposed to report this stuff. You know, you drink. Um, I don't know how it is now, but at least then. Um, and, you know, I, I started testing this thing, and I figure out I can have two. Bud Lights that still start my car for some reason. Like, but you know, most of the time, sometimes I'd overshoot the mark. But you know, I'm like, you know, actively trying to see what I can do with this thing. And then I'd set it off and get stuck somewhere, and then that created this whole other issue. And then I'd have to go to the mom tech guys, and I'm, you know, they're supposed to report this to the state. And I'd show up with biscuits and Krispy Kremes, and you know, my story about the uh, mouthwash, and, you know, how this was, you know, messed up, and. And they buy it, you know, I just talk my way out of it. And, um, but that was it, I could never look at me. I was always kind of bobbing and weaving. And you know, meanwhile, the blackouts are there, um, the other supplements come back, you know, all the stuff, that, that pain, and um, you know, it just kept getting worse. And life got really hard, right? My thinking was all over the place. I started doing things I never thought I would do. Um, you know, You know, I found myself like cheating on my girlfriend. I never thought I would do that. Um, I found myself, you know, uh, padding the expense account, which was stealing. I learned that in these rooms. I did actually, you know, I left a, this is how I left an employer. You know, I would leave in the middle of the night on the weekend, take everything that I was entitled to because I worked hard, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that was my, my best thinking, you know. Bill, Bill describes it pretty good in our book. You know, he goes on to say, um, you know, they talk about that insanity that pre precedes the first dream. It says, despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they're in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule. You know, I did that year after year. Um, when I finally was in enough pain to come into these rooms um, in 2010, after a you know New Year's in another town and swearing off alcohol once again, um, I was beat up and I was willing to ask for some help. You know, and what that meant was, um, you know, I had to come to terms with the fact that I was an alcoholic. I kind of knew that, um, you know, but my I had tried my very best with this mind.
to figure it out, and it didn't work, right? And so part of that was in recognizing that this thing, there's no thinking, right? It's not a, it's not a thinking problem in two, right? I'm not going to think my way out of this with my thinking mind. You know, I needed some help, and that came from God. Now, if you said God, I wanted to push you away. But it's, you know, it's a suggestion. It's a um, consideration step two, right? Are you willing to kind of consider this? And I was in enough pain and saw in y'all that I was willing to do that. You know, our book goes on to tell us something. You know, we get some good examples. We get Jim. I love Jim, the sales guy. He's got the resentment at work. He goes out to get the sandwich. Then all of a sudden finds himself pouring whiskey in the milk and rationalizing his way into it. You know, I really relate to that. You know, I have been lying to myself for years that it wasn't that bad. It would be different next time. You know, how, you know and then just whatever it was, I would, it, it was never enough to, um, to swear it off. And a few other places down. You know, Bill goes on to describe it actually pretty well, I think, in his, uh, in his story. You know, he's talking about being in that lobby in the hotel to make <coughs> And this is out of vision for you. And one dismal afternoon, he paced a hotel lobby, wondering how his bill was to be paid. At the end of the room stood a glass-covered directory of local churches. Down the lobby, the door opened into an attractive bar. There was a gray cow inside. Of course, he couldn't drink, but why not sit hopefully at the table about a ginger ale before him? He was on thin ice. Again, it was that old and insidious insanity, that first drink. With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory music gay chatter floated about him. But what about his responsibilities, his family, the men who would die because they would not know how to get well? What about those other alcoholics? There must be many. He would phone the clergyman. His sanity returned. And he thanked God. Right? The problem is not, I can't figure this out. I've got to go outside myself. I was willing to be open to that idea. You know, through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, I found a God that I understand. I shouldn't say fully understand, but that I believe in and seek. And that takes continuous work. You know, our book goes on to say, sanity doesn't return immediately at step two, right? I mean, it tells us that we get it at step ten. It says we've ceased fighting anything and anyone, even alcohol, for by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. And we will find that this happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That's the miracle of it. We're not fighting it, neither are we avoid, avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We've not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That's our experience. This is how we act, so long as we can fit spiritual condition. You know, what I found was working the rest of the steps by bringing in that sanity and understanding and comprehension of that first dream came, you know, started to get back to normal. Early on, it was, I was nuts. I remember my sponsor saying, like, whoa, why don't I do the thing for us for a while? You know, I needed that kind of direction. Um, but through the action of the steps, especially doing a good fourth and fifth step, you know, looking at the truth in my life. You know, I had, I had rationalized my way into every situation. You know, that thing about stealing from work, that was sort of on my um, fifth step. You know, I had written down that I left this place 
my sponsor helped me see that I stole. <laughs> like, that was like, I had like justified that in my mind. You know, um, that's, that's the, you know, where to take him. And the alcohol had become that answer to kind of deal with that and hold all that together. And then it stopped working. Um, when I went back to that employer to make that amends, um, you know, that was not the first one I did. It was higher on the list. But each of those amends I did, praying beforehand, asking God to be with me. You know, sitting down with that employer, telling them that I stole from them, you know, taking the money back to them. You know, each one of those processes brought me closer, closer to God, and it brought me a little more okay with me, a little more okay in these shoes. And I can say since that that sanity's been restored. Now, you know, we do have to keep up the action, right? It goes on to say it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We're headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We're not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve, contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. I used to think that said contingent on our spiritual condition. It's the maintenance, right? It's asking us to do action. If I'm willing to do the work, you know, I was taught you can trust in the results, right? It's just asking me to do the work. So if I'm willing to do the maintenance, you know, and for me, that looks like prayer in the morning. That looks like talking to other guys in the day, talking to a sponsor, going to a meeting. You know, all these little things that we do add up. And that keeps us in that place. So what we really have is a daily reprieve, contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all that we wish. You know, my whole use of the willpower was, man, I'll figure it out, you know, manage better, our book says, right? Try to just, you know, that's what I've been doing for years. And it, it took all of those years of trying to do that and failing and coming in here to find a new way. Now, sometimes I'll take it back. You know, sometimes I'll try to do it my way. And I, you know, nowadays, the pain, the my pain tolerance is a lot lower, so that's a blessing, I think. You know, it brings me back center. But, you know, we have a program to deal with that. So um, I feel like I've rambled a little bit. i tried my best at this workshop idea, but thanks for letting me share. All right. to do the workshop is um, someone I've known a while and um, she probably really knows the definition of insanity because I've kind of witnessed it. <laughs> I love her to death and um, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about her journey. Oh, it's Hannah. <laughs> qualifications for this specific workshop um, and you know the beauty and the insanity is that here I am um, yes and so I my sobriety day is August 14th of 2018 I have a sponsor who has a sponsor I have the privilege of sponsoring other people 
I participate in service regularly, and yada, 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 yada. Um, and so I like had a little notebook that I wrote things down, and I'm probably not going to use it, but uh, I'm very grateful to be here and to be with you all. For me, this is the best way to get over the holiday season. Uh, you know, beautiful, and I'm tired. So for me, right, like, thank you, Denton, for your share as well. Um, that concept of restore to sanity, just written up there casually and stuff too, like that was a, a hurdle for me. Um, you know, the way I encountered alcohol was not that it was the idea of fun drinking. I don't think that happened in my story. I was a doomsday style. And, um, and I say that because for me coming in, I seriously struggled with this idea. Am I constitutionally incapable of this? This seems like something out of my realm. Um, and I say that because my first drink was at 16. My 16th birthday was in a psychiatric hospital for three months because I had outside issues of other diseases. So by the time I pick up that drink, I'm like, this works. Um, and so I come in here, not too long after, it took three years until I ended up in AA the first time. And I stayed, I did not stay sober uh, from that get go. But when I came in here, I didn't think I had an issue. When I heard, you know, you have to admit you're perilous over alcohol and your life's unmanageable, I was like, well, the first, nah. Second, yes. My identity is unmanageability. Like, I know this, this is fine, this is who I am, and I will drink until it's over. Um, because I saw in my experience that the relief of alcohol was everything I wanted. It was everything I didn't have. It was that power greater than me that I believed in. And I drank and I had faith that the effect was gonna be, I get to not be me for a little bit. Um, by the time I came in here, lo and behold, it wasn't really working like that anymore. Um, and so I came in thinking, I'm gonna go to this meeting and I'm gonna see that I'm not like these people. Um, and I'm going to go home. So when I started to listen and I heard people share the way I felt, the hopelessness, the misery, the living in that beautiful place of the futility of existence, that was where I was at. And when I heard, step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, I said, well, then this can't work for me because that is not even my goal here. I want there to not be problems. Alcohol helps me tolerate the problems and that's all I got. Um, so then over the years of being in AA and not staying, I started to have a deeper understanding because when we would read, with whatever sponsor I had that week because I would relapse and get a new one because that sponsor was just really bad. I did that for like, 
This is what Julie witnessed, because um, I did that for two years. Um, because I truly didn't see how I was gonna get that relief. Um, so that started to change when I started to see what everyone was saying. If you're one of us, this might happen. And every time, like two years, I would drink and that would happen. And then another yet, and then another yet, and it convinced me. And by that point, it was step two that was the reason why I wasn't getting anything. Because I wasn't willing, because I was scared. Because that peculiar mental twist we talk about that Denton read, that idea that I can't remember what happens when I take that first drink. And if I do, it is so rationalized that I can drink anyway. Because I would wake up, at the end of my drinking was, I'd wake up and I'd swear I would do all the things I could and lay my soul out there. I will not drink today. And sometime between noon and 5 p.m., I catch myself drinking. Like, not even in the stage of pouring the drink. Like, my brain is not there. I am just doing what I know to do. And then, oh, well, I guess I'm drinking today. So may as well make the most of this and just get really trashed. And tomorrow, I will not drink. And I did that every day. The insanity, I always thought the insanity was that I, I couldn't relate to others. I thought it was this weird um, psychology-esque, DSM can probably find it in their kind of thing because <laughs> I, had that intellectual pride. I was with Bill in that shadow of the icy intellectual mountain. <laughs> and by the time I was hopeless, I decided I don't think I can accept spiritual help. Um, and so when I was willing and ready, and that looked like waking up in the ICU, finding out I was dead, but now I'm not, and having this gift of desperation, I knew what I needed to do because I needed sanity. And by this point, I had had many, many, many people explain to me, my insanity is that every morning, I swear and mean and believe I'm not gonna drink. And then some point in the day, I'm already drinking. I have zero defense. And the only defense, the way that it was taught to me in AA, if you're a drinker like me, the only solution I found was faith and dependence upon something bigger than myself. And, in a last resort, you know what, this is the one thing I haven't done, AA, then I'll kill myself. And um, what happened was I worked with a sponsor who I believed knew what I felt like. And her suggestion to me when I got to step two and I was like, I can't do it. She's like, well, does your will work? And I said, no. She said, are you willing to try something that's not your will? I said, yeah. She's like, great, that's stuff too. Um, because for me, I had to forget everything I know. Like the set-aside prayer that I'm sure you've heard that Julie kind of worked into her introduction. The idea that I know what's best, I have failed on that so many times. 
so many times and every time I have that weird peculiar mental twist that convinces me that this time I really get it. And that's why I drink. So my experience coming through the steps was I'm gonna just try and take suggestions and hide. Um, I like didn't make friends my first year sober. I don't recommend that, but I was terrified, but I did try the suggestions. And the first time I noticed that sanity might actually be able to re be restored in alcoholism was at four months sober. I just moved into my own place again. We, I, we had moved all my stuff, packed it up in boxes in the old apartment, put it in storage and unpacked it into this new apartment. And one day I was going to make dinner and I pulled out a plate and there was the alcohol that almost killed me. And I was alone. There was no one there. And I saw it. And before I knew, the plate was in the sink with the tap running. And my first thought was, damn it. Like, because no one would have known. But my knee-jerk reaction had changed. Because I was trying the steps by this point. I was around four and five. I was trying and I was taking suggestions. Those were the only bases that had changed. I didn't believe in anything bigger than myself, but I was willing to try. And that caused my reaction to be, before you can process this thought, wash the alcohol away. And I did. At nine months over, I saw that restore, restoration of sanity again. And it happened because my grandpa had passed. I was nine months sober. I was on the verge of going through the steps again. My grandpa passed extremely unexpectedly. And I drove up there and was there for my family. No one was looking at me saying, what are you about to do that's gonna make everything worse? And I was able to comfort my grandma, to comfort my family, my dad, my uncle, and I went to a meeting in the middle of nowhere, Virginia. These people didn't know me and I was like, my grandpa died and I don't wanna drink and I'm angry about it. Because I didn't understand. Because I had always hold this reservation that if someone dies, it, people will get it, like I'll just drink, I'll have another party, and they'll get it. And I was faced with this issue. There was not an inch in my body that wanted anything to do with alcohol and I was furious. And so on the way back home from the meeting, I called my sponsor and told her that this was really upsetting. I didn't want to drink and I was, was kind of sad about it because I wanted to fight. And she said, sounds like you're practicing belief in the power of God and it's working. And I had a moment of, oh my gosh, the things people said are happening. And I didn't, I don't remember signing off on that. <laughs> and that is what has kept me going. Because my self-will is what is keeping me insane. And I say that because this still comes up. My insanity in regards to the next drink, I don't think about drinking anymore. I can't tell you the last time I had a craving and I can't tell you when it went away. So now my, my alcoholism is like, well, let's just try this new job. And so at three and a half years sober, I got a job that was the dream job. And I was like, well, I have to change my program to fit this job. Because I was feeling 
Like, yeah, I'm restored to sanity. Yeah, I'm in AA. I'm active. I'm doing things. And so, yes, I'm going to change my AA program so I can do this job. And uh, my sponsor said, okay, let me know how that works. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I started going to only noon meetings. I started to not be as present with my sponsees and my sponsor. And the pain I felt was crippling. And I lasted two months of crippling pain before I realized, oh my God, I'm doing it again. Because I had stopped turning things over to God. I had stopped trying to practice the principles in all of my affairs because I had this idea that felt like it was God's will. And it was mine. And today, that is why I keep coming back to this principle of faith and humility. Because now that I'm here and I don't think about drinking, I can trick myself into thinking I'm part of the defense against the first drink. Which is not true. Because the same thing that happened to me when I came in and I surrendered is the same thing I need to do now. Just because my problems are a little more advanced doesn't mean the solution changes for me. Um, and with that, I, I always think of when the principle of resource to sanity, I think of Appendix 2. Because for me coming in, I didn't know what a spiritual experience was. I didn't know what a psychic change was. I didn't understand. And in Appendix 2, it talks about what is my favorite definition of a spiritual experience, which is a profound alteration in my reaction to life that couldn't have been brought about by myself alone. Because I see that all the time, every day. Like when a sponsee calls and I pick up the phone, that's a different reaction. <laughs> when I feel myself slipping into those defects because I have decided that maybe I don't need to turn those over today. And there have been examples just this past week with the holidays. Thinking that I, yes, they asked me to do this, so I'm going to do it. And if it's not my way, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> because I get carried away with life on life's terms because now I'm in a different position. But for me to continue to grow, I need to put in the work and grow. As I stand here, I've been praying all day. That was never something I did. And this idea of being restored to sanity is a daily reprieve because that peculiar mental twist has changed and shifted in its words and it is still there if I forget that I am just as close to a drink as anyone else in this room. My solution has only ever been from something bigger than myself. And the beauty of that is I didn't have to believe in it for it to work because I had all these notions of what God was, what God wasn't, and I was the person in We Agnostic who thought like faith was a little like soft. And um, <laughs> I had to throw that out. And my sponsor did a great job for me in saying like, stop thinking about it. That was my problem. I wanted to know what it looked like. I wanted to know what was happening when I said the prayers. And what 
comes out of that for me with this idea of restoration of sanity, with this idea of the spiritual experiences, the more I try and figure it out, the less spiritual in nature it is. And today, I rejoice in that because I don't have to know what this power is. And I think I understand it less every day. But I know that it's there because of my experience in here. And not just my experience and the shifts in my life and the sanity that has come back to me and just being able to function in the world around me. I see it in other people all the time because this program works. Being restored to sanity will happen even if you don't plan on it, if you take these suggestions. It is not an exclusive thing and I'm the one that is always trying to exclude myself. And so this idea of having a daily reprieve, being restored to sanity, is something I must continue to chase with the same desperation as when I first came in. And turns out that gives me the life and purpose that I always desired in carrying this message because I believe from my own experience, anyone can get this. And I don't have any idea of how or why, but what I have seen through the people around me, my fellows, my sponsor, my wonderful, wonderful peers, it doesn't matter the particulars. If I take the suggestions and rely on something bigger than myself, I keep my seat. And so that is all I got. Thanks.